You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. I just want to remind everyone or invite you, if you haven't heard yet, about the Gospel Treason um, conference that's coming up. Um, we're excited to host Brad Bigney uh, for his Gospel Treason conference on October 28th and 29th. Um, this will be a great time as we all work together and uh, with the Lord to understand root issues of our sin and hidden idols in our lives. You can learn more from the bulletin board in the lobby or from this flyer. Um, there's some out there on that bulletin board, so please feel free to take one of those. Child care is limited, so be sure to register as soon as possible. Now, if you would please read or stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. You will find that on page 933 in the Chairback Bibles, and if you do not have one of those, we would love for you to take one of those as a gift from us to you. Qualifications for deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together, please. God, give us wisdom, knowledge, understanding, and let any knowledge that we gain serve to help us love you and others more and not puff us up. Help us see you in today's teaching and correct any lies that we believe about you. We ask you to direct our steps according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Michelle. Though our vehicles need regular maintenance and our teeth need regular cleaning, at least that's what they tell me. <laughs> I confess, I hate when I get taken advantage of in these service industries. Real talk, a long time ago when I lived in a different town, I had discovered a place that would change my oil and it was dirt cheap. And I just thought, man, I am being so financially responsible and frugal and economical by taking my vehicle there and getting the oil changed. But every time I went there to get the oil changed, there was always a lot more service to be done than just get the oil changed. As that guy explained to me, you know, I was looking at your transmission oil and and you need to spend $300. Oh, okay. He's got stuff up on the wall that says he actually knows what he's talking about. I have no idea what he's talking about, so he must be right. Man, I thought I was saving a lot of money with that guy. 
one of my pastor friends, he said, man, I went over there. They tried to upcharge me, tried to get me to buy all these extra services I didn't need, and so I'm not changing my oil there anymore. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> I think I'll follow your example there. Wish I had known that like $1,000 ago before I had my blinker fluid changed. <laughs> it's okay, I didn't need all four blinkers, just I got the two, you know, so I was saving a little money. And something similar happened to me at the dentist. I went in and had to switch dentists. I went over there and had, had them look at my teeth, and they were like, you're going to need over $1,000 worth of work done. And I thought, I just saw the dentist like a few months ago, and what in the world? I talked to one of my dentist friends. She was so helpful. She said, you should check this place out. And I did, um, and it, you know, you got to go and do the, all the x-rays again and everything. But at the end of the day, they said, no, your teeth look great. You don't. We'll see you in six months for your next cleaning. And I just thought, man, I don't know, I don't know how everybody makes sense of the service industry, but, but how crucial it is to find the right kind of people that you can trust, especially when they're talking about some specifics that you may not fully understand yourself. And I don't pretend to think that, you know, car maintenance or dentistry are the only service industries in which consumers have to be careful about, but I, but I do think it's so crucial to find the right kind of people in those situations. Now, we look at the scriptures, and while it doesn't give us a clear idea of where we should get our oil changed or how frequently we need to get our teeth cleaned, the principle of finding the right people, especially when it comes to church leadership, is crystal clear and if it's needed when we're talking about just changing the oil or making sure our teeth are going to work till we're um, advanced in years, how much more important is it for God's church, for our elders and deacons to be the right kind of people who are leading the church in the right kind of directions? We've got to have trustworthy people who are not committed to their ultimate good, but to our ultimate good. These kind of people, they're not worried about their bottom line. They're worried about God's bottom line. Well, this morning we find ourselves then in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we have been walking in this sermon series through what we understand to be seven pillars, of, uh, seven pillars for a strong church. And what Paul has been showing us and what you can see on the screen are how these seven pillars are God's blueprint for a strong church. And so today we are on pillar number four, elders and deacons. Last week we considered elders and how crucial they are to a healthy church. Today we finish up pillar number four by talking about deacons. And if you will lean in and do the hard work of listening, what we're going to find today is how crucial it is to pick the right people as deacons, as well as the great blessing that deacons can be. And then we'll finish lastly by considering what does deacon ministry actually look like, boots on the ground, here at Mill Creek. And so that's the map of the sermon. Three questions as we walk through our text today. Who are the right people to pick as deacons? How are deacons blessed in their serving? And then finally, what does deacon ministry actually look like practically at Mill Creek? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to 1 Timothy chapter 3? Just grab one of those Bibles in the seat backs and walk with us because I want to show you from God's word 
how deacons are to operate in God's church. Pick up with me on the first question. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Who are the right people to pick as deacons? Let's jump in there at verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8, the text says, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, but not greedy for dishonest gain. Now, right off the bat here, you might notice that word likewise, which connects us to the elder qualifications we looked at in last week. We see it, chapter 3, verse 1, that there is a connection between the teaching and spiritual authority in the church, the elders or pastors, and the deacons. And what I find so interesting in relationship to these two offices of the church, elders and deacons, is that for Paul, these positions have very little to do with competency, and they have everything to do with character. See, when I walk into like an auto shop or you walk into the dentist, you see all these pieces of paper with credentials up on the wall that shows how much they know and how accomplished they are. And maybe you can see in some magazine all of the wonderful things they have on their resume. But for Paul, he's not so worried about the credentials, how many skills these people have. What he's worried about is, are they the right kind of people? That's what Paul's pushing into. Verse 8 then, do you notice the four qualities? One commentator said that all of these qualities could be put under the header of self-control, and I like that. Deacons have to be self-controlled. Self-controlled by being dignified, honorable. Self-controlled by not being double-tongued. For a deacon, yes means yes, no means no. Deacons must not be addicted to wine. Which Paul isn't saying that you somehow meet some technical threshold of you have a physical addiction to wine. What he's saying is deacons ought not be the kind of people who are drinking too much. And of course, deacons must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Since deacons often work with church finances, it would be important that deacons aren't thinking about how to serve themselves with the finances. They have to be upright, trustworthy, self-controlled. Verse 9, deacons must understand the mystery of the faith and hold it in good conscience. Hold it in good conscience. That's kind of odd. What does hold it in good conscience mean? That means that, 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 a, that you have to intellectually understand and have no dissonance with that truth. Now, some of you hold in good conscience that the Chiefs are the best team in NFL. A lot of you hold that in good conscience. <laughs> But not everybody holds that in good conscience. You can't have any internal dissonance with the mystery of the gospel. You have to hold it in good conscience. But mystery of the gospel, well, what's the mystery of the gospel? That's kind of a cryptic phrase as well. Because when we think mystery, we think, oh, something suspicious. We think something like Halloween night or something weird going on. The way he's using mystery, though, is almost as simple as um, something that is in a pocket that's hidden from you. You didn't know it was there, but, but as soon as you pull that thing out of the pocket, you go, oh, that's what it is. That's the way Paul's using the word. That's the way the word uses, is, works in the original language. And what, what Paul's saying is, is if you're going to be a deacon, you have to understand that the entire Old Testament, there was a hidden truth. 
And I hope you know this. If you've been here at Mill Creek and you don't know the hidden truth of the Old Testament is that it's all about Jesus Christ, that every story of the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. Why, if you've been here for a long time and you had not got that done, I've really failed you and I'm real, real sorry, but let's get that corrected today. <laughs> if you're new with us and you didn't know this mystery is all of the Old Testament all points to Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah that has been waited for. And in Jesus, we have all the good gifts that God would give us. We have all the motivation. We have a heart change and we can actually live and honor God moving forward because of what Jesus Christ has done in atoning for our sins. That is the mystery. And deacons got to be able to hold that in good conscience. It's crucial. Well, pastor, that's fine if those qualifications are being met, but how would we know that a possible deacon candidate actually has those qualifications? Well, that brings us to verse 10 where we see prospective deacons must be tested in some way. And if a deacon passes... Why, then they would be ready to serve the church for the church's good. Not serving on the deacon's best interest, but on the best interest of God's church. Well, that already brings us to verse 11, which is the trickiest verse in this passage. If you look there in your text, you might notice, at least the way mine's written, their wives likewise must be dignified. But there's a little footnote on their wives. And that's because Greek scholars... They can't decide if it should say their wives or women. And there's all this debate of which one it should be. Is Paul actually speaking to deacons' wives and wanting them to follow these parameters? Or is Paul shifting and saying, those of you who are women who are serving as deacons have to follow these parameters? Well, the Greek experts can't decide, and I quickly confess I am no Greek expert uh, but the debate rages because, depending on what you do with that verse, will probably inform whether you have female deacons or not in a church. And so, if you have the NIV, I think it does interpret this as women. The ESV does wives. Now, I do want to clarify, God's word is never confusing. G God's word is never unclear. God clearly said what he wanted to say. The problem is always on the reception. Amen? <laughs> All right. God didn't write this and go, man, I'm really going to confuse them in 2023, and they ain't going to know what to do. No, he wrote it clear. We're having a hard time this distance away. We want to be faithful to everything we understand. God's word says, uh, but based on history of the church, which is one way you double-check your hermeneutics, what has the last 2,000 years done? Based on other places in God's word where we see female deacons, the elders, we interpret this to mean women who serve as deacons, and therefore Mill Creek has female deacons. But I would rush to suggest that there are churches who interpret this as wives of deacons, and they don't have female deacons, and I find it kind of interesting. They also think that church history is on their side and the rest of the Bible is on their side, and so that's why there's some debate on that. If you'd like to have a little intramural debate with me afterwards, I would welcome it and be happy. If you are a Greek expert, I'd also love to talk to you because we could benefit from your input. Uh, verse 11 then, qualities that females who are deacons must have, they overlap quite nicely with verse 8, you might notice, meaning that women too must be self-controlled in their ways, uh, dignified, not slanderers, backbiters, or gossipers. Women must be sober-minded, disciplined, and of course, faithful, faithful over the long haul. 
Verse 12, the camera shifts off of women back to men again. Male deacons must be a one-woman man, which as we saw last week for elders, doesn't disqualify a single man from serving as a deacon, but rather indicates that any man who is currently going to serve as a deacon must have a currently unblemished reputation in the areas of sex and marriage. That's what Paul's looking for. See, culturally, most men would have been married in this time, and so it's not odd for Paul to say, hey, if you're a man, you've got to be a one-woman man. You can't be a philanderer. But the heart in verse 12 isn't to disqualify those without a wife or children. And in addition to the unblemished reputation in sex and marriage, deacons must have a proven track record of leading their children at home, leading their spouse at home. For if a potential deacon cannot lead their household at home, how will they lead God's household? Which brings us to the end of our first section. And and what I've hoped you've noticed, church, is how similar these deacon qualifications are with the elder list that we saw last week, or you can glance up and see chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And notice how regular these qualities are. See, what I'm trying to say is, it's not like Paul has created a bunch of descriptions that are some version of a Christian SWAT team, or that only those here like extra special and serious Christians with superpowers could serve as deacons. No, you look at the list and you go, gosh, this actually just feels like normal Christianity. In fact, the only main difference between elders and deacons is that elders are men only, and they must be able to teach. But besides those two things, everything else is pretty similar. Paul, not primarily concerned about competency, but worried about character. I've heard it said that you can mess up a church in a lot of ways and you can try to get bylaws and polity to just work perfectly in all these different ways, but if you just have the right people, you won't need that stuff as much. And I think there's a little truth to having the right people over all of the right paperwork. Here then are the right people to pick as deacons. Paul wanting to make sure Timothy and the church in Ephesus, us by extension, don't make the mistake of having the wrong folks in the wrong roles. For we need servant-hearted people, gifted by the Lord, whose aim is to build up God's church. Not for personal gain, but for God's gain. And with this in mind, we've got to avoid some of the common mistakes that churches can make with deacons. You may know some of the common mistakes, uh, There are some churches, especially in the South, who have deacons, but they don't have elders. And you go to that church and you go, hey, uh, tell me about your deacons. And then they go on to describe deacons as being the leaders of the church who do all the teaching. And you look in God's word and you go, you guys call deacons elders here. And who are your elders? They go, oh, we don't have elders. It's a head scratcher. Don't know why they do it that way. But that's a common way people make a mistake of these offices. Another mistake that people can make with deacons is to think that sort of like the Senate and the House of Representatives are, you know, separate but equal powers. <laughs> they sort of think like, well, there's the elders on the one side, and then there's the, there's the deacons on the other side, and we separate the powers. And so they both have equal leadership in a church, and of course, that's a mistake too. Uh, the elders lead the church, the deacons figure out 
how to implement the vision of the elders. A final mistake that a church can make is they just don't have deacons. And this was the case when I was hired here in 2015. We just said, no deacons at all. I mean, there were some people who were kind of doing deacon-like things, but we had decided and had been decided for quite a while just to have no deacons. So we had elders and no deacons. And so, so you don't want to make that mistake either. It's not good for the church. But we do want to try to be God's church doing it his way. And so we're looking for God's people who are equipped by him to serve as deacons. But having then considered the qualifications for the deacons, what might be the blessings that deacons receive for their service? It brings us to the second question and the shortest scripture section of our sermon this morning. Let's move to question two. How are deacons a blessing in serving? And let's consider based on verse 13. Three blessings I see related to deacons. The first, implicit. The second, explicit. Uh, would you say the word implicit with me? Uh, one, two, three. Implicit. Implicit, of course, means it's in there, but it's not as clearly seen. And then the opposite of that is explicit. Can you say explicit? One, two, three. Explicit. This is like, oh, I see that right in the text. I, I draw your attention to that because the first implicit blessing that deacons would bring is the gift of unity. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. It's a gift of unity to a church. So, see, if you've got a church that's disunified, one of, one of the ways to address that is through deacons. And we see that happen in Acts chapter 6. If you didn't know, Acts chapter 6 is where deacons first get introduced to the early church. Some like to see that as like the proto-deacon passage. Proto just meaning the first place that we see deacons operating in. And there in Acts 6, there were all of these widows who were Greek and not getting fed. Other widows were getting fed, but not the Greek widows. And so Peter and the apostles decide, we have got to figure out how to feed those widows, and they need to be cared for, but we have other responsibilities. So as apostles, we need a second group of people to appoint to help care for those very tangible needs while we can't give up our priority of word and prayer. So they appointed seven deacons, and these deacons ensured that those widows got fed. And the deacons then were the hands and feet of the church ministering in powerful ways while allowing the elders to be able to focus on preaching and praying. And, and one of the massive blessings then that deacons bring to a church is, is the unity that allows the church to work well together. It solves some of the problems while also allowing different gifts to stay in their lanes. See, real talk, one of the massive blessings that deacons bring to Mill Creek in the very weeks leading up to this sermon and in the weeks moving forward is the massive amount of time and hours they free up for pastors like me to spend time in the study, doing my best to understand the Greek, doing my best to organize these sermons, to practice them, to have a team of people who listen and give me feedback, to go back and improve them, and to create all that is necessary for this worship service to happen. This thing can't happen without deacons who work. I wouldn't have the time needed to actually do the sermoning, sermonizing I need if it weren't for deacons. In fact, this quote says it better than I could, can. Faithful deacons should be able to see their fingerprints on every sermon that's preached. 
realizing our pastor would not be able to do that or not nearly so effectively if I were not doing this. Here then a very tangible blessing that deacons bring is freeing pastors like me up to do this work so we can have the gift of unity. We all get to sit together and be unified under God's word. This is the first blessing. It's implicit. The second blessing we see in the text, explicit. It's aimed at the reputation of deacons. You might write that word down, reputation. Deacons, verse 13, who serve well, gain a good standing for themselves. Like a good mechanic, like a good dentist, a good deacon is known for, oh yeah, yeah, they're very helpful. They receive respect and admiration from the church. A third, blessings, third blessing for deacons serving well is confidence deacons receive. You might write that third word down, confidence. Look at the end of 13, the last explicit blessing. Great deacons gain great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Or we could say, deacons find great assurance as they serve the church. Here then, three blessings received by deacons committed to serving. Unity, reputation, confidence. A great blessing to, to somebody who's a member of our church who goes, man, I'd really love to receive some of these blessings. Perhaps being a deacon is a good next step for you. These are blessings that you could receive. But having now walked through our scripture on deacons and considered the kind of qualities we ought to be looking for as well as how deacons can be a blessing, what does all this actually look like practically for Mill Creek? This is where we'll go in our third section of this sermon. What does deacon ministry look like practically at Mill Creek? Look like we said at the beginning, churches like Mill Creek have opportunities to be served by lots of different kinds of people. And in a way that's not so different than your car that needs regular maintenance and you gotta go take it in. And I know for me, sometimes I sit down and it kind of dings and goes, hey, it's time for an oil change. I think, already? I gotta already do that? I just did that. Or just like you gotta go get your teeth cleaned periodically and that's what it takes to keep them in good working order or the hundreds of other things that you gotta do around the house or with your stuff to keep things in good working order. So the church needs regular maintenance. It's just part of being a church is we need regular and ongoing opportunities to address some of the problems that we face. And then deacons then are this great gift to the elders, to the church at large, because they are able to practically resolve the problems that Mill Creek faces. And in fact, that's the first takeaway I'd love for you to write down on this third question. Deacons can practically resolve problems here at Mill Creek. And it's crucial to us. See, like the proto-deacons back in Acts chapter 6, who brought unity to the church, but also freed up the elders to focus on word and prayer, Mill Creek deacons today bring unity as they practically resolve the problems we face. And Mill Creek deacons, those of you out there, man, we are so grateful for you. So grateful for the ministry 
you do. In fact, I've just got to mention the current deacons that we have because they're so brilliant, and we've even got a slide of some of their faces out there. So some of the deacons that we have here include Rally Tedlock on our grounds, uh, Zach Beadle in our building, Sam Niemeyer does our sound deacon, John Salisbury does audio-video, uh, Jamie and Shirley Johnson, as well as Karen Baxter do our benevolences, benevolence ministry, Brandon Storm, men's ministry, uh, Jerry Steele with our ordinance deacon, and then unpictured is uh, Mike Whitney, who's helped us with our finances. Mill Creek, would you give a warm applause for these fantastic deacons that we have? See, the way that these people are serving is freeing up elders and elders to be able to focus on word and prayer in powerful ways. And they bring unity to our church in the different ways that they're giving of their time. And if you're a deacon, we are so grateful for you. You're a blessing to our church. Here then is the first gift deacons bring to a church like Mill Creek is they practically resolve problems. Deacon ministry at Mill Creek then practically second helps us because we then have a tool to address not yet solved problems. See, deacon ministry can look practically at Mill Creek like us deploying new deacons to address not yet solved problems. See, inevitably, just like when you take your car in to get the oil changed, you may realize, ah, I need actual, I really do need tires, or I need new brakes. The other day I had metal on metal sound, and I thought, oh man, what's going on? That was my problem, and even though we may have oil changes happening at the right time, you may have forgotten, yep, I'm going to need brakes at some point too. And that can happen at a church. We may have a great system for upkeeping particular parts of our church, and these and this maintenance schedule, so to speak, is operating really well, but then all of a sudden, there's a new problem over here that we go, oh, we didn't, we didn't realize that was coming, but now we need some help addressing it. And so, as we consider some of these particular ministries or areas that need more time and attention, the elders want to be able to deploy some deacons in those areas. But Pastor Jeremy, what are some of the areas that the deacons think need some extra help? In what ways are the tires bald or we need some new attention given to the braking system? Well, for the elders, we've noticed a few areas that we would love to have some more deacon help, and one of them is aimed particularly in caring ministry. Now, I, I understand that there's a number of you who actually are part of an email distribution list that when we have a meal need or somebody's in the hospital or somebody needs to visit, I understand there's a group of you who already are... Um, on that list, and you receive this information, and you jump to helping. And I don't have enough time to mention all the different life groups who have, I've heard, have given different meals to different people, or the way that the firehouse group rallies around one another to care well. And so, while caring ministry is a particular need, what I'm not trying to say is that there's not some really good caring ministry happening already, but what the elders have heard periodically is that there's a few folks that are falling through the cracks. And we hate that. And if you're here and you've ever been in kind of a jam or you thought, man, I could really use a 
Neil or, man, I was in the hospital and nobody came and visited me or, man, there was a funeral that was really hard for me to process and I didn't get a phone call. We hate that and we want to care well for you. And, and, and one of the ways that we think we may, to, we may be able to resolve that problem is if we might be able to get a caring ministry deacon or two to serve in that role and really be the hands and feet of that ministry, help strengthen it even better. We, we have a slowly expanding church and so it makes sense that the same sort of systems and processes that got us here may not be able to get us in the next phase of our ministry. So maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, okay, um, man, I'm actually gifted at that. I could do something like that. And you're a member of our church with these deacon qualifications. Man, we'd love to talk to you. Caring ministry then, one area that we think we could use some more deacon steroids, so to speak. A second area is in family ministry. It's talking to Miss Cindy and Miss Brittany and they manage you know, so many volunteers, the largest volunteer ministry we have in our church, and they were explaining how they would love to have at least six new deacons serving in their ministry, from an early childhood deacon to an elementary deacon to a buddy team deacon to a setup deacon to a midweek deacon and a new baby deacon. They have lots of need in the family ministry that they love to be able to bring some deacons on. And we'd love for a few Mill Creekers to be able to receive the blessing that being a deacon offers by serving in these crucial ways. You know, more broadly, a final place that we could use some extra deacon support is just in the number of administrative, detail-oriented needs that our church faces. And, and quite honestly, while we gave you a slide of deacons, truly those would be our volunteer deacons because some of our paid deacons actually end up on the staff page even though the job description is very deacon-like. But what we found is there are just so many administrative details that we're trying to carry that if anybody in here would say, man, I'm actually gifted in some of those things and I have a few hours, I'd be willing to serve. Man, we'd love to be able to visit with you and maybe you're here and you're going, man, I have those skills, but I don't want to have my picture on a website and I don't want to actually have to be an official deacon. I would like to serve and administrate in some way that is just behind the scenes. Well, you're exactly the kind of person that should be a deacon, it seems like. But our heart then is to advance Christ's disciple-making mission locally and globally and empower you, gifted by the Spirit, to be able to do this work. So deacon ministry practically looks like deploying deacons to solve problems, to address not yet solved problems, but then a final way that deacons can be a blessing to Mill Creek, a final practical gift that deacon ministry brings us is if we all would seek to cultivate deacon-like character. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down as a final application for us today. I love all of us to consider cultivating deacon-like character even if you are never going to serve officially as a deacon. See, here's what I mean, and it brings us full circle. Imagine the kind of church that Mill Creek could become if each of us as members was committed to being the kind of people that Paul's outlining in verses 8 to 13. 
Not thinking that we have to be some sort of superpower, special forces team, but the kind of regular and faithful Christian who models self-control, verse 8. Who's motivated by the mystery of the gospel, verse 9. Who's committed to living blameless, verse 10. Joyfully living into our male and female roles, cultivating deacon-like character. See, church, if we would be this kind of a people who were motivated to be, allow ourselves to be described by this text, it would self-correct so many of the other issues that churches face. So many issues that we may struggle with in our lives would relationally or otherwise would be reconciled if we would be these kinds of people. A church aspiring for deacon-like character, following in the footsteps of the greatest deacon of all time. For of course, church, you must understand that while deacons are called particularly to, particularly to serve the church, deacons aren't the only people to serve a church. For of course, the greatest servant of all time. The goat deacon, if you will. That, that deacon wasn't found in Ephesus, and they won't be found here. Now, the greatest servant of all time, he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when Jesus Christ came, he didn't come to help his bottom line, he came to help God's bottom line, our bottom line. Jesus Christ, he came, he died on the cross for our sins, not because it made so much of his uh, reputation per se, not because he was so worried about himself, but because out of love for us and in a desire to reconcile us to the Father, he served and laid his life down. He is the most trustworthy. He is the model. He served for our ultimate good. And here then is the gospel motivation that allows us to be the kind of people who cultivate deacon-like character. When you look at Christ and you see what he accomplished, when you trust only in Christ, he changes your heart so that you not only want to serve him, but you are joyful and glad in serving others for God's glory. See, Christ, he didn't merely give the church some regularly scheduled Maintenance when he showed up, he overhauled the entire sinful religious structure, providing us salvation, not for his service, but for ours. He is the greatest example for us to follow, and we then want to model our lives after Christ, the greatest deacon. Church, will you follow Christ? Will you allow these qualifications to inspire you to cultivate deacon-like character. I hope you will. And will you pray with me as I ask the Spirit to motivate us to do just that. Now, Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that you would accomplish in us what you desire. We love you. I pray you would raise up deacons. You would encourage those who are deacons. You would make us more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.